Do you try to do all the things by yourself? How do you keep balance and serenity while moving forward? Welcome to episode 135 of The Recovery Show. Let's look at how concepts 11 and 12 can help us answer those questions. This episode is brought to you by Heather and Patty. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Heather and Patty, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at the Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we present ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of Concepts 11 and 12. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. Joining me is co-host Akila. How are you today, Akila? I'm all right, Spencer. How about you? I'm doing pretty well. It's been a nice, uh, relaxing holiday weekend for me, actually. That's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic concepts 11 and 12. Following a short break, we'll talk about our lives in recovery, about how we practice these principles in all our affairs. We'll follow that with your email or voice contributions and some brief news about the podcast before closing. And we have a reading about Concept 11. Could you read Concept 11 and then uh, go into the reading? Sure. Concept 11 says, The World Service Office is composed of selected committees, executives, and staff members. And the reading comes from page 317 in Paths to Recovery. And it says, We came into Al-Anon burdened by the disease of alcoholism. While we may have blamed others for our unhappiness, we also felt a great deal of responsibility, often for things that were not our fault. Not believing that anyone else will understand or relate to our situation, and often feeling great shame about it, we quietly shoulder responsibilities by ourselves. Our isolation often made us lonely, frustrated, and resentful. In our own family groups, we discovered that together we can make it. We learned that not only was it unnecessary to do everything by ourselves, it was also usually counterproductive. This concept on the surface is really about uh, how the work of Al-Anon at sort of the world level is accomplished. And what is it? What does it say about that explicitly? I mean, how does how does how do we break this down? How do we unpack this into something that? Because I look at these words and I'm like, uh, okay, we have committees and executives and staff members. I don't know what that means. Well, it means that um, tasks are divided into manageable segments in line with responsibilities. That's on page three sixteen and Paths to Recovery, and it's also. Really given the organization, so this is also from page 316, the organizational principles that make service accessible to all. And so how we can use the World Service Office as a model for organization and unity in our groups, districts, and areas. Mm-hmm. And when I was looking at that uh, yesterday, the uh, the reading that is in, and, and we noticed, uh, by the way, for the, for you listening, um, Akil and I noticed that our uh, two copies of PAS to recovery seem to differ somewhat in the text that's included in this section. Uh, mm-hmm. So in mine, it, there's a, a long paragraph about all of the different committees and what they do. And and for me, that actually was helpful to read that and see that. So we have a committee for Alateen. We have a committee for archive, which keeps track of what happened in the past. 
We have a budget committee, a conference committee that plans the conference, cooperating with the professional community, and so on. And and so when I started to see the names of those committees, it's not just this abstract thing like, hey, we have committees. No, it's that each of these committees has um, a specific area of focus, uh, things that mm-hmm. are important to keep Al-Anon as an organization going. Uh, and that, that helped me to understand more about not only what this concept was about, but how um, I might start to apply these ideas in my life. And and I think one of the things when you break this down, when you unpack it, is that you see that it helps us to ensure when we follow this concept, it helps us to ensure that any one person is not totally overloaded with yeah. tasks. And I think you said that in different words. Um, right. It's not. It's unnecessary to do everything by ourselves and also usually counterproductive. That's what it says in the book. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I have certainly had those experiences of trying to do everything, uh, as the current internet meme has it, all the things uh, mm-hmm. myself mm-hmm. And, and totally failing, right? Yeah, totally. I, I think this reaches back into some of the other... I mean, all of the concepts really tie together when we start... Um, looking at it more closely, like this concept also indirectly talks about delegating, right? And then we, we had yeah. some other some other concepts that talked about authority and responsibility and giving people the authority to do the things that they have the responsibility to do. And I think that that this idea of committees and also executives and staff members. Um, brings that into a little bit more focus because this is sort of about who is getting this authority and responsibility to do these individual tasks. Right. And, and I was thinking there's some discussion in, in this book and then also in the reaching for personal freedom about applying this principles of breaking, breaking up tasks into the family arena. Yeah. And I think about my family right now, there's just the two of us at, at home. Um, the kids are, are grown and, and mostly gone. And I see my daughter regularly because she lives in town, but you know, she's living her own life. And so if we just took it very literally, there's two of us and we're both executives and there's no staff members to actually carry out the work. Um, but, and and I think I come from academia and one of the, the problems that, I've faced in in some projects in in my academic life was that there were too many, as we put it, too many chiefs and not enough Indians. And I guess that's a dated phrase that I probably should remove from my vocabulary now that I think about it. But mm-hmm. um, you know, everybody wanted to be in charge. Uh, every every individual faculty member. So if we were doing a joint project, um, and if, and at the time that 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 I was actively uh, in academia. There were a whole lot. There was this whole thing about about um, collaboration, collaborative projects, and the problem is you get five or six faculty members going into a collaborative project, and each of them is sort of their own chief, their own executive, and there's no there's no staff members to actually do the work. Well, then you bring in some graduate students, but you still don't have any coordination. Um, and and it, the organization, at least the projects that I was involved in, most of them ended up being pretty top-heavy, and that's not mm-hmm. a, a really good way to get a lot of work done. I don't know if you've had similar experiences yourself. Yeah, that sounds about right. I think um, an updated way to say that, Spencer, might be too many cooks in the kitchen. 
Yeah, there you go. Jimmy Chefs, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that whole idea that everybody wants to be in charge or everybody wants to, and it's, I mean, it's also about communication, right? Where we have, when we look at the other, the other concepts in line with this concept, we, there are specific tasks, but everybody knows what everybody else is doing and what they're in charge of. And this is into double-headed management and all that stuff. So that mm-hmm. it's not, so it's not that, um, and if we use the cooks in the kitchen, right? Yeah. You have your line cook, you have your sous chef, you have all those people, but you have your head chef who's telling people what to do. But if somebody over there just decides, no, I'll just make the foie gras, but there's already somebody on it. Now nobody has made the Brussels sprouts and everything's screwed up, right? Yep. So, yep. And taking that, taking that kitchen analogy a little further, uh, you get to a, at least a fancy restaurant and you'll also have a, typically a pastry chef. And right. the pastry chef is more or less equal with the hedge, the executive chef, but has a completely different area of responsibility and may have people working for them as well. And mm-hmm. the pastry chef doesn't get involved in making the dinner and the executive chef doesn't get involved in making the desserts. Right. Uh, and and the lines of authority are, are very clearly drawn there. I think I want to bring it back to the family. And there's a there was a really good example in in the past recovery. This woman is talking to her sponsor about how she feels like she has to do everything in the family. This is in my mm-hmm. copy. This starts on page three eighteen. And the sponsor says, "Well, what is your primary purpose?" And right there, that triggers to me this. Back to our traditions, tradition five, yeah. our primary purpose, or how we accomplish our primary purpose, and and all these other traditions where we we focus on our primary purpose, and and the woman says, I th- I think my primary purpose is to keep growing into the best possible member of the family of humanity I can be, and then she says, Well, what what do I need to be doing in order to accomplish this life purpose? And the woman says, Laundry. <laughs> okay, what else? And she lists playtime, personal alone time, family quality time, Al-Anon and other spiritual meetings, job commute, job, and so, and so on. I went on until I stopped for breath. That was when she suggested I read her service manuals, Concept 11, which groups together certain activities needed to carry out Al-Anon's primary purpose and divides the work into manageable committee jobs. And so if we think about our family, whether there are two of us or four of us or ten of us, there are certain jobs that have to be done in the family and for each of our personal growth and purpose. And we can divide those jobs up into who, who does what. Uh, and in, in my family, even with just the two of us, I, there are things that I do. There are things my wife does. There are things that neither of us want to do. And we, I, we pay somebody to do that. And, you know, so we, we, there are people that are doing work for our family that are not, necessarily part of our family, but they're, they're compensated for that work. And that's, I think, also true of the Al-Anon organization, that there are people who are paid to do certain functions because they need to get done. Right. That's in the, and that, they do talk about that earlier in the, um, in the reading in a chapter, how they do have specific people that they pay for some things yep. that need to be done. Yep. And they need to be done by someone who knows what they're doing <laughs> and who that's their job to do it. <laughs> Yes, keeping the family healthy, there are certain parts of that job that we do and there are certain parts of that job that that we farm out, as it were, to professionals, i.e. doctors and dentists and so on. Yeah. Because we don't have the skills. Right. 
you were saying there are things we don't want to do um, that we pay people to do, but there are also things we don't want to do that we still have to do. So we figure out a way to divide those tasks, right? Yep. So um, if it's not an option to pay somebody, then you still have to say, well, what's our, you know, you go back to the primary purpose and how are we going to function? If this is a thing we need to function, it has to get done whether we like it or not. Yep. So how are we going to handle and approach this? And that's what, I mean, that's how my daughter and I divided up tasks. We decided because I hate, I think I talked about this before, but like, I hate cleaning the bathroom. She hates doing dishes. Both of those things need to get done. So instead of it being like, let's take turns and you do it, just, just, I'll do the dishes. You do the bathroom and it's done. Like it's handled. And we don't have to get in a fight about how she didn't do the dishes and, um, why aren't the dishes done? And blah, blah, blah. it doesn't have to happen because that's my task. Her task is the other task. And then we just go from there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a question in, in one of the books related to this concept it said, how can me taking control make a bad situation worse? And I was like, Oh geez, <laughs> where do I start? You know, um, <laughs> And, and and I'm not thinking of a specific example right now, but I know that there have been times when I tried to take over a job and and just totally made the whole thing worse because the person I tried to take it from got pissed off and mm-hmm. I probably didn't do as good a job at it as they did or, or, you know, we ended up fighting and everybody was upset and angry and maybe the job got done, but it, it totally, um, you know, the emotional... Uh, stuff around the job just was horrible. If you have have any specific examples that you can think of right now. So, because we've talked about this before, we always talk about it. Begin to um, get my daughter up in the morning. Oh, yeah. Is one of those. Yeah, the one that always comes up. And it helps when I read. Sometimes, I think I said this, like on a detachment, the little, um, the thing, it says, don't do that. (laughs) And I still do it. Um, sometimes I'll read it and do it anyway. Um, but the, I'll read and I'm like, that's right. I should not manipulate situations to see that people get up when I want them to. And then I'll say, I don't care. I'm going to wake her up. And it never ends the way I want to. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but somehow I still think it'll work, but that's the thing where it's like, I'll take, you know, I'll be like, I'm in charge of it. And I just get really angry and then I take over. And she gets really angry and she's like, why did you do this? And then she doesn't, it makes her not want to do it more, not want to go to bed on time, not want to get up. You know, like it just creates a whole thing Um, instead of, I think, you know, setting, I think this is one of those places where setting appropriate boundaries or like that would probably be more helpful. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. that needs your reaction for me. It's just, no, 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 you're not handling this. So I need to be in control. And then it just makes it worse every time. Yep. And I think there's some sort of subtexts here in this concept that that are not explicit. They sort of come out uh, in some of the readings and and definitely the, the questions that are in both past recovery and in reaching for personal freedom, I think, are helpful in pulling out these subtexts. But one of them is about deciding whether a particular situation is something that I should get involved in and how, if so, how, and Mm -hmm. we learn in this program about setting boundaries. We learn about 
what's my side of the street and what's not my side of the street. And I think that there's a little more subtlety here, like, well, maybe it's partly on my side of the street and which part of it is. Yeah. And can I, can I sort of slow down, hit that pause button for a minute and say, is this something that's mine? Um, and that's, right. I think that's one of the subtexts here. Like, am I on this committee? I'm not on this committee or I'm not the staff person doing this job or I'm not the executive that's in charge of this particular thing. In whatever situation, whether it's my family, whether it's my job, whether it's just interacting with, with people like in a store or something, right? The mother who is screaming at her child is actually not mine to fix. Right. But however much I might want to intervene. <laughs> that, reminds, that reminds me of when we went on a cruise and this kid was doing something and I just wanted, I just like started inching closer and closer to try to tell him what to do. And my mom saw me and was like, Akila, get back over here. <laughs> and I was like, it's because I mean, the, the kid wasn't in any immediate danger or anything like that. And I, but I was just like, they should not be doing this thing. And she was just like, you need to just let, let it go. And I think this is, um, we're talking about too, like how important is it? Yeah. Am I letting go of outcomes? And I think so th- that idea of like, it is when we get into those more muddy areas, like what part of this is mine, like you were saying. And then sometimes I think even just what part of this is mine and how important is it that I get involved? Mm-hmm. And if we, you know, stopping and thinking about that, it might not be that important for me to get involved. Yeah. Um, or, if um, I'm looking at something, and I think this is the other part, is not going the way I think it should be going, but someone's in charge of it, that's not me. I have to let go of the outcome and see what happens instead of getting in there and sticking my fingers in it before it even has a chance to be finished and complete in a disaster or not, you know. Yep. I think that's the other part that's that's in there, too. So I thought of a situation where it was very obvious that, you know, really was none of my business, but I I really wanted to do something. I wanted to help, right? I wanted to be helpful. Oh, yes. That's the uh, the Al-Anon picking up there. You know, the equivalent of picking up a drink, right? I want to pick up and help. This this guy in my meeting said once, helping is the sunny side of control. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, So so we were in church uh, Christmas Eve. And it's a family service. And so they had set up some space with little squares of carpet on the floor where kids could sit and be maybe they can fidget around on the floor and and they're less noticeable and and more comfortable and whatever. Anyway, Mm -hmm. and so my wife and I were sitting in this row of three next to some of these carpet squares. And just before the service starts, a, a young woman comes in with three children and they sit down on the carpet squares and she sits down next to them. And I'm like, I said, you know, we could move over and you could have the chair. And she's like, thank you. So that was something that I could do that was sort of in my, in my purview. But then, you know, the kids were restless. I mean, the youngest was probably three or something and, and was not able to sit still for that long, but they really wanted to stay to the end when we all light the candles and sing silent night. Right. And, and so, a couple of times the woman would take her youngest and, and carry her out. Maybe she, I don't know, she just needed to do something. I don't know what she needed to do, but I so wanted to somehow offer help. Right. And, and 
I knew that there was nothing I could do and it was not nothing that it was my job to do. And, and I don't really know this person. I mean, yeah, we both go to the same church. So presumably we, we, we're, we're good people. But like if I offered to hold one of the kids, I mean, what's she going to think, you know? Uh, <laughs> uh, so I didn't, right? And maybe it's obvious that I shouldn't have, but I don't know. I don't know how that would have been uh, in the past without all this practice and, and letting go of things that are not mine and, and recognizing when I can do something and when I can't do something uh, and when it's not my job to do something. Oh, man, Spencer. That just, um, and it's also just a reminder that people are in control of their own lives. Oh, yeah. Which is basically the crux of our oh, yeah. program, right? Yeah. But when you were saying that, and it's like, what would, you know, like, what would I have done if I hadn't had practice? And I'm like, well, I probably would have been like, do you want me to do this? Or I can just do that or something, you know, yeah. why don't you just, you know, I would have had so many suggestions. I would have, yeah. So that person is their, exa- I mean, that's one of the questions for the executives, right? But each person is the executive of their own life. Yep. And it, even with our kids, like, I, I mean, I am the executive, but <laughs> in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways I'm not. You know, like when yep. when my when my daughter's out there in the world, she has she's functioning on her own. Even when she was a little kid, that's what happened. So it becomes that sort of question of yeah. So I mean, that was just it just called that to mind your whole situation that you yeah. were just explaining. That's that's a really good point about kids. I mean, as they as they grow into teenagerhood and and older. And and even to some extent, when they're younger, there are times when they're not around us. And if we are always even at home, we're always acting as the the dictator. Mm-hmm. They don't get any practice in making their own decisions. They don't get any practice in, as my daughter puts it, how to adult. Right. And uh, and and she still says that sometimes. She says, "I don't know how to adult," but she's mm-hmm. doing a pretty good job at it. I think. Yeah. Anyway, um, I want to leave. Uh, I want to leave with a question. Uh, okay, I'm not. I'm not ready to answer this question right here and now, but I think it's a great question to ask, and maybe, um, maybe some somebody who's listening will have uh, some great feedback on this question. This question is: What is my purpose? Mm-hmm. Because when we think about focusing on our primary purpose, we kind of have to know what our purpose is. Uh, and we might have different purposes in our life, we might in our family, in our job, in other settings. And to understand what our purpose is, I think, is really essential to fully putting these principles to work in our lives. Yeah, I kind of was talking to my mom about that, and to my um, to one of my medical um, caregivers. I think this is um, a step three. And step 11 kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? Turn our will and our lives over and being in constant con- conscious contact with our higher power. But thinking about um, the question I've been thinking about a lot lately, and I have different answers depending. Like right now, um, my daughter is in 11th grade. She'll be finishing high school soon. And she's like, you know, she's ready to leave now. Why can't we move? And, you know, I'm like, no. Like there's, we need to stay, like, I still have to get, you know, we have to finish school. Like that's what we have to be stable mm-hmm. and do these things. Um, and that idea that, you know, like we were talking about how it's okay to want 
and to think that it's just time to take care of your family and have a good job and do those things. Because um, we, were, we were talking about sort of these outside pressures on how you're supposed to be living your dream and doing this and doing that. And, you know, I was just like, yeah, but sometimes it's like, but I just need to take care of my family right now. Yeah. But on the other hand, um, I was saying, you know, I have this idea of what my life should look like based on what I want. And there's the part of me that's like, there are these other things I want my pursuing and I'm, I'm interested in, but I have decided that they are not for me because, well, there might be, there's a money issue. And what if I have to move and, what, da, 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 and all of that stuff. But when I get into those questions, then I feel like I'm getting into fear and not into God's will. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's, you know, it, and it's something that I've really been thinking about, especially because, like I said, my daughter will be graduating yeah. soon. And it's like, I'm a single parent. She'll be leaving. And so for the past 18 years, I've been, that's what I've been about. And now it's like, yes, but now it's time to be about me. And I'm still fairly young. I had her when I was young. So this idea that, you know, this may not be my final stop. And I have, I don't know what it'll be, but it, so it's one of those things that I, I have been thinking about um, because I feel like my purpose is to be in God's will, but what does that mean? And then, um, and how to, and how, listen, how far am I willing to take that? (laughs) Because it is, I mean, it's scary to think. And, and that's the thing. It's like, it's the fear part of it. I think that gets, gets into maybe blocking that purpose. But at the same time, I may know it and fight it. So it's just all kinds of stuff that comes. So I think it's a great question to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you bring up a really good point, which is that our purpose can change over time. As you said, from from about 1990 to 2010 or 12 or so, uh, one of my primary purposes, certainly my primary purpose in the family, was was raising two children to adulthood. Right. Uh, and now they are out living independently. Uh, and and I think I, I talked about this earlier this year. You know, when I turned 60, I realized that that thing that had been the focus of my life for a long time was no longer the focus of my life. Mm-hmm. And that... I've, I'm in a transition. I will be retiring in the not too distant future. It's still not imminent, but it will be happening. And and what is going to be my purpose when I retire? Because uh, you know I've had two purposes for for the last twenty some odd years, which is f- children and job. And bringing into that was recovery and. Um, carrying the message. I mean, those are purposes that have been sort of coming up in my life. Is that, am I going to spend more time on that as, as I move into retirement or is there some, something else that, that I can do uh, right. that I want to do that, that will give me purpose in life. So I'm not just sitting around the house uh, playing candy crush or whatever the, the game of the, the day is <laughs> um, because that's, that's not a good purpose. All right. Let's move forward to concept 12. Yeah. You love Candy Crush. <laughs> I actually, I haven't, I've been playing some of those other games, but yeah, it's the same idea, you know. They suck me in. They do. I don't have to think about it too hard. Concept 12 is, is the next one. And concept 12 really 
well, Concept 12, the words say, the spiritual foundation for Al-Anon's world services is contained in the general warranties of the conference, Article 12 of the Charter. And boy, you talk about uh, words that, that don't say anything to me. They're right there. Article 12 and general warranties and what? Spiritual foundation. Okay. There's something about spiritual foundation in there, but then we get into these general warranties, which are specifically addressed to the World Service Conference. It says, in all proceedings, the World Service Conference of Al-Anon shall observe the spirit of the traditions. And then there's a colon, so you know that the next five points are these traditions that we're observing the spirit of. One, that only sufficient operating funds, including an ample reserve, be its prudent financial principle. Two, that no conference member shall be placed in unqualified authority over other members. Three, that all decisions be reached by discussion, vote, and by wherever possible by unanimity. Four, that no conference action ever be personally punitive or an incitement to public controversy. Five, that though the conference serves Al-Anon, it shall never perform any act of government. And that like the fellowship of Al-Anon family groups, which it serves, it shall always remain democratic in thought and action. Ooh, okay. And I pulled out a bit of a reading from uh, Reaching for Personal Freedom. It's on page 169 in the discussion of Concept 12. Although the spiritual foundation contained in the general warranties is for Al-Anon's world service, I feel they represent the basic tenets for living a spiritual life. Not only do they tell me that I need to respect others, but they also encourage me to truly respect myself. Warranty 1 helped me realize that it was okay to have sufficient operating funds. Being frugal is good, but spending most of my money on trying to fix the alcoholic left little operating funds for me. My sponsor suggested that I spend some of what I earned on myself. I stopped living in fear. Warranty 2 helped me understand that the alcoholic really had no official authority over me. I feared him more than I should have. Instead of being equals in a partnership, I was subservient because I chose to be. I learned to answer to a higher power. Warranty 3 helped me comprehend that I too could contribute ideas and make decisions about financial matters of importance in our family. I recall the day that I saw a new truck in our yard. I had no idea where it came from. On another day, I discovered secondhand that my husband had purchased some land. I had no part in either arrangement. Today, I know that if I am in a relationship, I am entitled to participate in any major decisions that affect my life. Warranties 4 and 5 are about my behavior and reactions to the behaviors of others. I learned not to argue in public, not to start a fight or riot, or to punish someone for hurting or embarrassing me. My behavior must reflect a life lived on sound spiritual principles. Today, I strive to think well, not just behave well. I want to be democratic in action, but also in thought. I want my body and mind operating from the same loving perspective. And the reason that I chose that reading is because um, I thought it really reflected the way in which we can take these things that are about the World Service Conference and bring them into our personal lives. And also that the person who wrote this reading brought it in in the context of an alcoholic relationship. And so I kind of felt like, wow, even if I was really new in the program, I could see this reading. I could hear this. I could hear maybe somebody sharing this in a meeting and say, oh, I can take that. I can use that right now. Yeah. Um, and and just uh, for a little bit of clarity here, there are, there are some spiritual principles embedded, embodied in these warranties. And one of the readings, and I pulled this out of one of the books, and I don't remember which one now, 
listed these spiritual principles of prudence, humility, substantial unanimity, personal responsibility, avoidance of controversy, mutual respect, and equality. And so, again, those are things that that I can take and pull into my life. And I think um, we have some some discussion points here around a lot of those different spiritual principles. Where do you want to start? Before we do that, there's a brief, um, well, it's a longer reading, but there's a brief part in a reading and hope for today that I think also kind of does the same thing. Uh-huh. It's on page 208. There's some background given. Then it says, when I learned about the general warranties in Concept 12, I felt hope. To me, a warranty is like a guarantee. If my relationships aren't working, I can return to the general warranties to adjust my attitudes. Through them, I've learned not to use my authority to push my viewpoint or to punish someone for disagreeing with me. I've also learned to avoid controversy by listening and encouraging others to share their viewpoints when making decisions. Sometimes we can even come to a unanimous decision. Thanks to the general warranties in Concept 12, my relationships are smoother and filled with less tension. I am finally experiencing the peace I long for as a child. Once again, the Al-Anon tools prove useful in all my affairs. Yeah, that's great. And I like that one because it's that idea of how can I use the warranties? Well, I can look at them to adjust my attitude. And, you know, the reading you you did gave a lot of like very specific examples. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit more in this one reading, of course. But it's that same thing. Like I can look to that and see, am I doing these things or not doing these things? And how is that affecting my relationships? So I thought that was also a cool way to think about like how um, the reading show, how it can be applicable. Yeah, absolutely. I think we can just go in order. You know, before we do that, uh, I got a voicemail from Pat about the warranties and maybe we'll, uh, we'll hear from her first. Good morning, Spencer. It's Pat. Um, regarding the general warranties, um, again, sound dry, but honestly, thinking about it, that's really the basis for a lot of the rules that we have, um, our guidelines that we have around how we run our meetings. So no crosstalk and uh, in particular the group conscience. Um, thinking about democratic process in there. I meant to have it in front of me when I called you. Here it is, Sunday morning, calling rain, and I'm off the door. At any rate, um, you know, that group conscious process is just really an amazing process and it's one that I really love and I have to laugh because I'm one of the folks that really wanted you to make uh, the podcast an official Al-Anon um, event or meeting so we could um, spread the word in our Al-Anon meetings but it was great. You opened it up and listened to, you played all the comments from everybody who called in and at the end of the day um, you're not doing that, and I'm really okay with it, and I got the benefit of listening to all these different voices and all these different points of view, um, which is just really what makes a group consciousness work so well. Um, so there's a thought, and thank you so very much. I look forward to listening to your newest podcast and listening to Akila, too. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks, Pat. Yeah, thanks, Pat. And and uh, yeah, I mean, group conscience definitely comes straight out of this notion of democratic process. And maybe since since Pat really touched on that one, um, mm-hmm. we'll look at that one. Uh, the, there's a, the word unanimity is in the warranty and in the readings. 
says whenever mm-hmm. possible by unanimity. And in some of the readings, they had this phrase of substantial unanimity. And apparently, and I've never been to a World Service Conference, but apparently they actually vote before the meeting to decide what substantial unanimity means. So is it two-thirds, three-quarters, whatever? Um, if if we can't get complete agreement, what it's not just a majority. It needs to be more than a majority. And I've, I've been in... in organizations that have run that way. I know one of them that I was in for a while was a volunteer organization. They talked about consensus minus one. So Mm. that we would spend time talking about something so we could get at least almost everybody agreeing on a particular course of action. And that's like extremely democratic. (laughs) Most, most of the organizations I'm part of do not take it that far. Uh, I don't know if you've had experience with with that kind of thing outside of maybe the group conscience at an Illinois meeting. I have not, no. Um, But I remember when um, my daughter was thinking about doing this group and she wanted me to be be their coach. And I said, one of the things we'll have to decide as a group is how we want to make decisions and will it be by consensus or majority vote or, you know, like, but that's because I've been exposed to these concepts and I thought about them. But other than that, I probably would have just been like, well, majority rules, which makes people crabby. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it can make you really crabby, especially when, you know, people are um, have not actually said what's on their mind because they fear retribution, which is the personally punitive thing. Right. Or that they don't want to rock the boat or whatever it is. And so, yeah, principles above personalities. And I think that is definitely... Uh, again, some of the discussion about these in the readings about these concepts and, and this concept in particular uh, mentioned principles about personality, which also comes up in Tradition 12. How about that? Mm-hmm. Um, and practicing these principles in all our affairs is Step 12. They, Oh, man, they, they tie together. They overlap in so many different ways. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, so prudence. What does prudence mean to you? I think prudence. So they do talk, they're talking about in financial affairs, but I know that one of the questions is other places, but to me, it's just um, really not spending beyond my means, like what, so that I don't put myself in a situation where that I don't have to be in unnecessarily. And I do think that there is some, I was going to say some trickery to that, but that's not actual, actually what I mean. But there are times, because I think I mentioned that I've been having, um, a lot of financial struggles throughout the past, the past couple of months. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't for a lack of prudence because everything I was doing was stuff I needed to do. And I had to take care of, I mean, it was literally, and it was, and it stressed me out a lot because it's like, how can I be doing exactly what I need to do to take care of my family? And I still don't have enough, you know, but that idea, I think there's a point, one of the readings, and I thought I marked it, Oh, here it is. It's on page 331 in Pastor Recovery. It says, and this is talking about the ample reserve, but it says, so only sufficient operating funds helps me to understand that wealth is not a necessary goal in my life. Although maybe what I think I want is not what I need. What I need is enough to survive, to keep a roof over my head, not a palace, to have food for nourishment and to have heat, water, and light. Swim pool stables and tennis courts are wonderful dreams, but in and of themselves, they will not improve my life. So that's when I think about 
the prudence and the sufficient operating funds. Like, are my needs being met? Um, and that's my needs. And then in the, the ample reserve part, which is getting into what I was talking about, it says, means saving enough to cover an, an emergency if it should arise. A reserve is a way of helping me not to overextend while still relying on a power greater than myself to resolve any problems. I do the footwork, make the plans, and then leave it in his hands without planning the results. And so for me, that was um, my experience was I didn't have an ample reserve. I had no reserve. Um, but I did, because I knew my my needs were met and I hadn't overextended myself into sort of these unnecessary things that I could say, okay, God, I, this is on you because I don't, there's nothing else that I can do. So I have to trust that you're, it's going to work out. Mm-hmm. And that's how it works for me. And then it goes on. This is still from page 331. This warranty has helped me to eliminate waste and to conserve energy. The word prudent for me is wisdom with balance. I do not have to go overboard, period. And that's the thing. Like I don't have to go overboard, which I think brings us back to our concepts like 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, you know, all of those where it's like, when do I need help and how do I ask for it and where do I go to get it? If I feel like I'm about to be in a place of excess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a great explanation. Um, and I just I was thinking about um, the uh, the finances of the podcast in particular, uh, and that there have been some things that I've wanted to get um, to uh, improve my ability to to make the podcast improve maybe the sound of it a little bit, and to uh, to help guard me from. Uh, some kind of disaster and where disaster in this case would be, you know, losing an episode that I just recorded because of some uh, computer problem or something like that. And, and I just, I didn't have the money in the podcast to do that. And I could have used personal funds, but that would not have been prudent. I try to keep the the podcast finances separately for my for my personal finances. And actually I'm this year, I'm thinking it would might be prudent to actually do a balance sheet because I think, um, both of those are getting to the point where the IRS actually might care. Okay. Um, <laughs> and that might be prudent in a different way to uh, right. to sort of be upfront and be honest because this is a program of rigorous honesty. Well, that's what the AA Big Book says, and I, I think that applies here as well. I agree. <laughs> but due to due to the generosity of, of some of my listeners this at the end of this year, I've actually been able to... to accomplish both of those goals in terms of buying a piece of software that makes it easier for me to edit the podcast together and, and should improve the audio quality a little bit. And also uh, buying a portable recorder so that I'm not relying just on my computer for recording the podcast. That hasn't come yet. It's coming next week. (laughs) (laughs) But I waited until there was that reserve. That reserve was there. And and this is an expense that I think is justified in terms of, because I had, I I did have a, a case um, a couple of years ago where I had a software crash and it took me hours to, I was actually able to reassemble the the recording, um, but it took me hours and, and there was some real panic in there. I was like, ah, it's totally lost. Ah. Um, and, and so I don't want to be there again. I don't want to have that. I was also thinking about prudence uh, in other areas of my life. And one area that it became very obvious that 
I had spent, if you will, imprudently uh, recently was in my exercise program. So I, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago where yeah. I went in and I talked to the trainer and he said, okay, here's some exercises for you. And the first day I did them, I really overdid them. Okay. I didn't think about what my actual exercise capacity was and I did not leave any reserve. I think I dipped into my non-existent uh, exercise reserve and uh, yeah, and my body told me about it for the next several days, and it was really, really sore. I could, um, you know, it was hard to straighten my arm out for a couple of days because it just hurt so much. And obviously, I had not kept an ample reserve of of uh, energy uh, in those muscles, and so I've been more prudent about it since then. And uh, maybe I'll get back to the point of being able to do the number of uh, reps that I did that day with the weight that I did it that day, but. Um, I'm in no rush to get there. So yeah, prudence in, in a lot of different areas. Uh, and I think also prudence in, for me right now, prudence in eating. Uh, I've been keeping track of my consumption and uh, been losing weight steadily, which is um, a good thing because I got to the, you know, the highest point I'd ever been in my life and and significantly higher than I really want it to be. And well, higher than I want it to be, and higher than realistically is where I'm probably you know stable uh, in terms of weight. And so I've been keeping track, and and what that means is that if I say I go out to lunch uh, at work, uh, you know, restaurant meals are always larger than you would serve yourself. Mm-hmm. Then to be prudent and to keep within my my limits of what I'm I'm trying to what I'm aiming to spend in calories. Uh, I may have to eat a very small dinner. And, uh, you know, that's not so comfortable. <laughs> and sometimes I go over, and, and uh, although I actually managed to get through Christmas without blowing my budget more than a, than a few hundred calories, which was pretty good. Um, I was amazed, actually. I was like, wow, I had all this food. And I, but it's sort of like I stop eating when I start to feel full, and I, and I don't eat really fast, and and then I'm full. And... And and this happens to me at a restaurant all the time. Like I'll eat maybe two thirds of what they serve me and then I'll be full. But there's, you know, there's not enough food left on the plate to take home. So I have to eat it, right? That's not prudent. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> That's not prudent, but I do it. And and I'm so, it's a work in progress, you know? Yeah, oh, I know. <laughs> I know all about it. <laughs> So ample reserve, can I keep an ample reserve of all that I need? Money, energy, serenity. Ooh, how do I keep an ample reserve of serenity? Do you have any thoughts on that? Or any other ample reserves? Well, I probably do, but I just want to back up a second uh, to something else that you said, thinking about the podcast um, and thinking even about my own life. But what one of the things that, you know, you were saying there are these things I want to do with the podcast. And so the other thing that it, it calls to mind for me, too, with being prudent is, again, what is my primary purpose? And am I meeting my primary purpose? So I'm, if I think about the podcast, my primary purpose is keep it on the air to, to get it going. Do Is what I have right now sufficient for that? Like there may be things that I, I would like to have that would make it better or easier to do that. But can I do it with what I have? And so I think that that's one of the questions I ask myself because <clears throat> there are things that I, I want all the time. I want them all the time. There are lots of things that I want all the time. Yep. Um, 
But sometimes I do have to pull back and say, is this a thing? Like, again, am I getting my needs met? Because I know that I don't have what I, I don't have extra to do the extra. And so then it becomes this idea. So I'm thinking I was, um, I was just talking to somebody about this the other day, but I'm thinking about going to the gym. So I pay for a gym membership which is a monthly membership and it covers like you can go to classes and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Now our gym. So at one point I was interested in taking a dance class. And so I went to the dance class a couple of times because I'd already paid, I had a card, um, an old card and I used it. But at one point I was like, you know, this would cost extra on top of my gym membership. And while I do, this is kind of fun. Like, is this really something I can afford right now on top of this thing I already have that meets the needs I have for exercise? And it was like, no. So I was like, yeah, that's not something I'm going to keep up with right now because I don't have extra to do it. If I have extra, I might do it, but I have a gym membership that I can use. That's almost, well, I can use it and it meets my needs. Maybe it doesn't have every single thing that I possibly want but it has things that I can use and that I like using and I can use those. Yeah. Um, and they're doing a, like they're doing a, like you can do a free trial because Pilates costs extra, but you can do a free week trial. And I said, so I, that's something I would try to free week, see if I like it. And if I do, when I have the extra, when I'm able to go do that extra class, if I want to, I will, because I know it's there and I'll know how I feel about it. But I don't have to like make it a priority to pay extra money to do this thing. That would be nice, but I can't afford. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Especially when I already have something that I have budgeted for that does what I needed to do. So, yeah. Because I was thinking about, you know, I want a new Kindle. And it's like, you know, my Kindle is perfectly serviceable and it does fine. It's like, but the paper white is so nice because, you know, it has the built-in light. And it's like, or... Instead of paying $100 for a new Kindle, you can get a book light, which is in your budget because the Kindle isn't broken and it works. You know, like Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. it's not the kind of thing where it's like it's no longer serving me because it doesn't work and it doesn't meet my needs. It's the thing where it meets my needs, but I just want a little bit extra. Well, yeah. You don't necessarily have to take it. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. I guess that's what I'm trying to get to. Yeah, that's totally. And I think that is totally within this concept of of prudence and, and ample reserve is is that we can decide how much that it doesn't, as you say, it doesn't have to be all. Um, and And that actually brings me to another thought about energy and reserve of energy. And sometimes... When I get into something, I want to do all the things and mm-hmm. I burn out mm-hmm. because I can't actually bring all of that new stuff into my life all at once. And maybe I won't actually ever bring all of whatever it is into my life at once. But if I bring in a little bit and then bring in a little bit more and then bring in a little bit more and this sort of, again, I'm going to come back to the gym because this is sort of the thing that that I'm bringing new into my life. I've been mm-hmm. trying to go to the gym for years and years and years off and on, and we've had memberships here and there and and 
then after several years, we realize we're paying this money every month for something we don't use. And so we, you know, and this time I'm like, I need to make this work because I can, I could feel like my energy level, uh, my physical abilities declining. And, and I was getting to a point where I didn't like the, the person that I was being in terms of like, I would walk up a flight of stairs and be out of breath kind of thing. And that's not cool. You know, like if I want to live till I'm 80 or 90 or so, I need to do something about that. And so I need to figure out a way to bring this into my life in a maintainable way, not in a, I'm going to go all out kind of way. Uh, And, and so I went for a while just doing, basically just doing uh, cardio, just doing uh, walking and running on a treadmill, just doing one thing. Okay, I can go in, I can do this one thing for half an hour, and the whole thing actually takes an hour, what with getting dressed and stretching and, and cooling down. And, and I usually grab a shower just because I feel so grungy when I'm done, I can't even bear the thought of walking out the way I feel, you know. So maybe it takes an hour, and I can put that into my life like three times a week. Okay, so I do that for a while, and it and it gets into a little bit of a routine, and then I go and I say, okay, I want to add in some strength training here, I'm, you know, build up core body strength and help work on, as the the guy pointed out to me, the the parts of my um, body that are perhaps underworked by mm-hmm. um, my, my by by the job that I do, for example, um, and so I can add that in, and and now I can go in and I and I have instead of trying to go in like one of the t- one of the gyms that I was in I would go in and I would do like the whole weight circuit and then I try to do some cardio and you know that didn't that didn't last I just I couldn't make that big jump from sort of nothing to everything all at once and and I think it's really important when we when we want something when we knew for me it's really important to to do it gradually because Otherwise, I'll get overwhelmed. I'll run out of that reserve of energy or that reserve of ability or that reserve of time. There's another one. I need to reserve time um, because I need downtime. Uh, I need sleep. (laughs) Uh, And so there's a lot of places where I need to keep a reserve in my life. And if I'm bringing something new in, I I don't do it all at once because I will exhaust that reserve. Yeah, one thing that I started doing, because I'm the same way, and um like you, I'm a bit of a workaholic. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I should not have said that. That's okay. It's true. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I'll take that inventory on myself. I was going to say, because only you can say if you're a workaholic or not. Um, but what I mean is just the way you talk about work is kind of where I am, you know, I, as a, as a professor, you know, I frequently have to bring work home with me. And so getting those good boundaries, it can be really a challenge. So what I, I have actually started putting like alarms on, I have an alarm on my phone that says stop working. Mm-hmm. Just stop. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an alarm set that says go to bed because sometimes I won't remember to go to bed. And whether I ignore it or not, it's there. Um, and I can't say I wasn't aware of it. You know, it's that kind of thing where it's like, it kind of holds me accountable to myself Yeah. that, yeah. you know, it's time, you know, it's time to stop working. And even this, you know, I'm on break right now, but I have to do all my prep for my classes in the spring. And so a friend and I are meeting to do some work. And it's like, for me, I have to say, yeah, I'm gonna go do this for a couple hours. But then after that, like, I'm not working anymore, because I am on vacation. (laughs) I am on vacation. And so there are things that need to get done. But how am I, you know, how am I going to make sure that I am the best possible 
professor I can be in the spring if I don't take a break because I don't, I'll get burnt out. I'll burn out at the end of the semester. I'll be burnt out at the end of this. You know, I don't want to go into it burnt out. Yeah. So I finished one class this past Monday and I said, that's great. Um, I did a little bit of work on Tuesday because I just, there was some stuff I need one to finish up. And I said, okay, Wednesday through Sunday, I'm off. I'm not doing anything. And I have to give myself permission to do those things. And that's how I get my reserve. And you were talking about how do we um, keep up an ample reserve for serenity or do we have one? And, you know, I, I don't unless I force myself to do self-care. Unless I force myself to do things that I enjoy that are for me. I just don't have it. Yeah, no kidding. I have to say that that the first the first warranty here um, is is one that has it really speaks to me a lot at, at this point um, in my life. I think, um, mm-hmm. but look at at the next one. No conference member will be placed in unqualified authority over other members, and you know we bring that into our life and and recognizing that none of us. Uh, except in very special circumstances, nobody has unqualified authority over anybody else. And I certainly don't have unqualified authority over the other people in my family, over people at work, uh, or anywhere else in my life. I think that the principles of the Al-Anon program, setting boundaries, again, is a big one, uh, have helped me to to recognize that and to live up to it. Yeah, and I would say even adding that, this is exactly what just came into my head, is not giving people power over us that they shouldn't have. So it's not even that we, it's like, we don't place them. We don't say, we don't give someone else control of our happiness. Like if I want to do something that my daughter doesn't want to do, I don't say, well, she doesn't want to do it. So I can't do that thing. Why not? Is this something that I'm giving her authority that she doesn't need to control my mood and my actions? I, I believe you talked about that before about like going to see shows and nobody would yep. want to go. So you, and, and I just, and you know, I do this in lots of different places and it wasn't that long ago that I realized I was doing it like with cooking because I, I realized I was being really codependent about cooking because I was like, well, my daughter doesn't eat what I want. doesn't eat what I cook. So what's the point in cooking? Like, but I still have to eat, Yeah, you know, <laughs> I like, I usually like what I make. It's fine. Like, and it was like, yeah, I have to stop doing it, but that's like my default position. And so, you know, once, of course, once I had that awareness and I knew what I was doing, I was able to stop it, you know, to stop and make different choices. But it constantly finding those places where I have given someone unqualified authority over part of my life that they don't, that they don't need to have. Wow. I'm glad you brought that up because I hadn't even thought about that, but definitely I, I have done that and I probably still do that in some areas of my life. So it's good to recognize that. We, we did talk some about the democratic vote discussion, unanimity. I liked what the, the reading I picked said about uh, that no conference action be personally punitive or an incitement to public controversy that, that it's really, that's about, the way in which I respond to, the way in which I react to um, what other people do, that uh, even if somebody does something that hurts me, that doesn't give me any sort of right to hurt them back. Yeah, and I would take that one even a little bit further because I think um, when I was reading this, and I think this is really where that principles of our personalities comes in, Mm -hmm. 
because when I was reading, I was like, it's the same thing. It's just like, um, so again, talking about work, we have a huge problem with plagiarism, with students plagiarizing. And this is something I deal with every semester, unfortunately, and drives me crazy. But, and even when dealing with students on a case-by-case basis, it's really easy for me to sometimes, like if I really like a student, to maybe want to relax the rules for them. Mm. Or if a student is kind of annoying to want to be like, you know, I'm going to stick it to them, right? But if I'm treating them all fairly, if I say, this is what the syllabus says, this, these are the rules for all the students. If I do this for you, I have to do it for everybody. And that's something I have to say sometimes. I'm like, ah, oh, really, you know, the student. And I'm like, yeah, but if I do it for him, I have to do it for everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I can't do it just because I like a student. I can't pick, you know, I can't pick on a student. I can't report a student because I don't like him and not report the student that I do like. Like, that's not fair. And that's being personally punitive um, and can cause public controversy. Like, yeah. if it comes out that I have treated my students differently, then I could be in a world of trouble, you know? So it's those kinds of things where it's like being really care, like being, I think this is, what was the spiritual foundation? You know, mutual respect, avoidance of controversy, personal responsibility, equality. Like saying, I'm going to treat everybody the same. And if someone does something that I don't like, I'm not going to, because I don't like them, treat them differently than I would treat the person that I do like. I will say, well, this is the consequence for this action. And it has to be carried out no matter how I feel about you. So it has nothing to do with your personality and everything to do with principles. Um, And that's what came to me when I was thinking about that one. It's a really good point. It really is. Um, Do I like to stir things up? Um, And this would be controversy and... You know, I'm not a controversy kind of person. Um, although there have been times when I've stirred things up. So where's that? What's that say? Hmm. I'm not sure. <laughs> I think. I think when. I think when I feel like I'm not being heard, mm-hmm. is when I'm more likely to stir things up. When I'm more likely to try to get some some controversy going because I want you to hear me. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but again, that's. Learning in Al-Anon, learning acceptance, learning the serenity prayer, learning that, that pause button that, that where I can stop for a moment and I can take a deep breath, I can say the serenity prayer, uh, helps me to reduce, at least reduce that urge. And, and probably a lot of times, I, I know there have been times in the past year at work where I really wanted to sort of jump up and you know, figuratively scream and pound the table. And and where I've said, you know what, this is not your fight. This is not your, you know, you're not the boss here. And uh, these are good ideas that people have. They're just not your ideas and they're not necessarily the way you would do it. And so keep your mouth shut, kid. Um, and, uh, you know, that works sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking I mostly just stir things up when people aren't doing what I want them to. <laughs> yeah. And I think your example about treating students equally and fairly also really addresses this uh, fifth fifth uh, warranty of uh, being democratic in thought and action that you're treating you know you're treating people equally and maybe you're you're recognizing that you have likes and dislikes about them but 
that you're still you're still treating them the same. Do you have other thoughts on on being democratic and thought and action? Yeah, and um, and past recovery. That was an example of the parent, the parents who they had an opportunity to move, but they had they had kids, so they had a family meeting, and they everybody got to voice how they felt about possibly moving. Um, and then they decided that it wasn't time to move, which I think also gives, what is that concept five, I think, about making sure minorities have the right of appeal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This idea that we hear what people have to say, that we listen to their concerns about it. And I'm thinking even as a family, even if like, so it's me and my daughter. So, but of course my vote counts more <laughs> just because as the adult, I have some access to some information that she may not. But at the same time, if there were a major family move coming, especially now as she's older, I would listen. And I think just to make sure that she's heard, even if it may not necessarily change my mind about the decision I need to make, just to make sure I understand her concerns and we're able to talk about and address them, I think goes a a long way towards making people um, feel like part of the process. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. And we, we actually had that sort of thing happen this week. Um, mm-hmm. My daughter has a boyfriend and her boyfriend has a family and they live nearby. And her boyfriend's family has certain Christmas time traditions that, that they wanted to participate in and they wanted her and her boyfriend to participate in. And we have certain Christmas time traditions that we wanted her and her boyfriend to participate in. Mm-hmm. And the the two the two young people were of course caught in the middle. The family the two families weren't talking to each other, right? Um, they they were both talking to the kids and and basically, uh, my daughter said we would like to do this. Can with his family? Can we do the things with with my family in such a way that we can do all of them? And mm-hmm. we said, yeah, sure, we'll do that. You know. Basically, they were going to have dinner with. They were going to. They were going to bookend Christmas Day with with his family presence in the morning and dinner in the evening. And I think with two different parts of his family, I'm not completely clear on that. And so, we said, "Well, you know, we don't like to get up really early on Christmas morning anymore. Uh, and so, we'll just do. We'll, you know, we'll ask you to come over here maybe about eleven. We'll do presents, and then we'll have a Christmas lunch instead of a Christmas dinner." Worked really yeah. well, really no stress, very low key. In fact, they when they when they got here at eleven o'clock in the morning, I was like, "Oh my god!" I was supposed to stick the ham in the oven to warm up, and then the ham was almost ready. And I thought, "I didn't even cook the sweet potatoes," you know. And so <laughs> I, mean, I was so laid back, I was like not stressing about it at all until you know, like, "Oh wow, we have these raw sweet potatoes." Uh, okay, well, I guess we're going to eat a little bit later, you know. And we had them in the middle of the day, but we talked about it. You know, we said, what is going to work? What will work with, with both sets of, both sets of parents and grandparents that on his side and and that we can, we can all have our time. And, and I don't think anybody felt, felt slighted by it. And I think maybe it would have worked out that way with anyway, but it was, it was good that we just talked about it and we just made a decision that, that could work for everybody. Not the best example, but it worked and it's recent and it's in my mind. That was pretty good. Yeah. Mm And so again, I want to leave leave people with a question. I want to leave you with a question about, we've talked about over the year, we've talked about these 12 concepts, and I will put uh, links in the show notes to the, um, 
I think we had six episodes on the on the twelve concepts. I'll put links in the show notes to those episodes, and I want you to think about how you can use these concepts in your life uh, to live your life more fully, to live your life better, with maybe with more serenity, uh, less uh, drama. Open question to the uh, to you who are listening. I have a, a reminder here to close with. This is from How Elanon Works, and it's a. It says, there is no difference between good spiritual practice and good business practice. As our co-founder, Lois W. said, I don't think there is a spiritual part of the program. I think Elanon is a spiritual program. Every activity can have a spiritual motive. And again, that's from How Elanon Works, page 139. And after a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives and in our meetings. Our first musical selection, which you can listen to on the website at therecoveryshow.com slash 135, is Alicia Keys with Superwoman. And I picked this song specifically because it reminded me of um, the reading we did way back at the beginning of Concept 11 that talks about how trying to do everything. And when I first got in the program, I really took a lot of pride in that whole, like, I am Superwoman, um, the lyrics, the, the choruses, even when I'm a mess. I still put on a vest with an S on my chest. I'm a superwoman. You know, I get things done. It doesn't matter. Um, and I remember a woman at one of my meetings saying to me, because I had like a super, super girl or Superman shirt on. And she was like, you know, I'm not interested in trying to be super, superwoman anymore. I'm not interested in that. And I was just like, what are you talking about? You know, like, what is she talking about? But after I had been in a program a lot longer, I got it because now I'm like, yeah, I'm not, that's not something I want to identify with or um, am interested in, I would much rather use what our concepts talk about, which is delegating and sharing the work so that I'm sharing the burden. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week. And I think I talked about some of the things that were happening in my life this week already, so I'll try not to double up on those. One of the things thinking about uh, thinking about the uh, you know getting exercise into my life, started reading a book about developing habits. Mm-hmm. And the idea being that if we can, you know, take something that that we want to do that we want to change in our life and, and develop a habit around a new way of doing things, then that makes it a lot easier to do the new thing. And I haven't read the whole thing yet, but she talks at, at, at one point about, uh, you know, ways in which we can help make something a habit. And one of them, one of them is to schedule it. And I don't have yet a regular schedule of exercise. And, and that concerns me a little bit because I know, it, that sort of says, well, I'm still fitting it into my life. It's not part of my life. And so I need to think about, and I need to work on when, when can I, when can I go and exercise that is a regular thing so that I start to plan other activities around it that rather than trying to fit it in among the activities that I already have planned, because it's not, it's not going to become a regular part of my life if I don't do that. So again, work in progress here. Um, but I, I am feeling good about it and, and I am making it well, you know, I'm on vacation though. So there's another thing, taking care of myself. I'm taking some vacation, but 
tempering that with reality, we have some things at work that have to happen at the end of the year. So I'll be going back on Wednesday and Thursday, which are the last two days of the year. So I can uh, finish off those things if, if somebody else hasn't already done them. And if somebody else already has done them, it's going to be a real quiet time at work. And I can get some stuff done that has been sort of back burner. It's been, it's important to do, but it hasn't been urgent. And if there's not urgent things looking for me, I can pick up some of this, uh, important but not urgent work and do it instead. And that will feel good. Yeah. It's just been a quiet week. You know, there's been not a lot of stuff going on and that's a good thing. Uh, I did. Uh, oh yeah. I was going to talk about books. So I, I, this book is called better than before. Um, I'm enjoying it so far. Um, it's by an author that I've enjoyed some of her other works. She's, she's, she wrote an earlier book called the happiness project. Um, and I've been following her online for quite a while before there was a book. And so uh, uh, I like the way that she writes. It's a very personable uh, style, and she brings her personal life into it with you know examples and stories from her personal life. And and maybe that's just me, or maybe it's that this is a style that I've become used to in meetings with everybody sharing sort of incidents from their personal life that show how maybe they applied some principle or how what they're struggling with, and and so I connect with with the way in which she writes. I'm going to put links to these books in, in the show notes also at the recovery show.com slash 135 for Christmas. My uh, sister gave me uh, a book about prayer and I ha- actually have to admit, I haven't opened it yet. I have, have other reading ahead of it in my pile, uh, but uh, she listens to the podcast and obviously something I said uh, struck her and she sent me the book and, and I'm, I'm interested to see what it, what it has to say. And a third book uh, I'll talk about uh, a little bit more because it came with a letter that I'm going to read later in the show. But I've got uh, a small pile of um, recovery slash self-improvement, if you will, uh, books to uh, uh, to read over over the course of the next few months, I'm sure. How about you? How's your, uh, how's your life been recently? Uh, my life's been... And exercise and recovery. I will say though, that is cool. <laughs> I, um, I write a, a self-help book. Well, it's a combination of Shonda Rhimes, um, the year of saying yes. And it's funny because this, the, the, like yesterday, I was like, Keila, are you saying yes <laughs> to this? You need to say yes to this thing that you want, you know, so that whole idea. But I, mm-hmm. yeah. so anyway, I totally get the, I, I love self-help books. Um, I don't read them as much anymore because I'm in recovery now and that is my self-help. That's <laughs> true. But I always enjoy them. I think they, I mean, they, I think there's a lot of overlap because it's one of those things where all these, it's the same perspective, but it's just, you come at it from different ways. Um, anyway, uh, my week has been, okay. I went to a meeting on Wednesday. I went to my regular meeting which was good. We talked about kind of like, what was your first meeting? What made you keep coming back? Why did you decide to keep coming back? Um, And, you know, gratitude for the program. But, and so that's always, you know, it's always a good meeting. Um, I did have some challenges this week. I actually really love Christmas. Um, My daughter went away, which is fine. I actually, I want her to go away. This is the thing I know most married, like married parents don't understand, but she was, we don't, it's very quiet here. She's the only child. Um, there's not a lot of activity and stuff happening around the holidays. And she's used to spending time with her cousins and 
being around a lot of kids. So she couldn't do that this year because I couldn't afford to send her and they couldn't afford to, um, to, to get her. So she went to some friend's house, uh, some um, friends of ours, and they have a daughter her age and a younger daughter. And so it's the kids and she gets to have a lot of fun over break. And that's good. And, you know, it makes me happy because I don't have to stress out about making sure that she's not bored and all of those things. Yeah. Um, but what happened is, so I decided to stay because I wanted to stay and um, spend time with my parents and have just kind of a quiet Christmas and break. Like I like having an actual break where I'm not surrounded by people all the time. Um, so we kind of got into it a little bit, not like a fight, but she would just say, I wish you would come with me. And I'm like, no, I don't want to go. I want to stay home. She would say, I wish you would come with me. And I would say, no. And she's like, but you're supposed to, you're supposed to be around family for Christmas. And I'm like, you could stay if it's that important to you to be around family. She's like, no, I don't want to stay. It's going to be boring. You know, so that was kind of the, <laughs> the conversation we had. <laughs> and I was like, yes, and I, yes, I don't want to go, you know, it's that kind of thing. Um, but so, but what did actually happen is, so I do, like I said, I love Christmas. I enjoy it. It's, um, I, you know, I do things for Christmas as part of that whole doing things for myself, like not letting other people dictate what I do. But, you know, I'm the only person that, cause I share a place, I share a place with my parents and uh, my daughter is here too. You know, it's really, I like having the Christmas tree up. It's important to me. So I put up the tree by myself. I decorate it by myself. Um, cause they don't want to help, um, which is okay. You know, and I've made my peace with that. I'm like, that's fine. I enjoy having a tree up and that's something I do for myself. But my mom was just really down on Christmas this year and it was bumming me out. And I was trying really hard and I was trying to think like, did I have expectations of her and you know, that kind of thing. And it wasn't even that because it wasn't, I said, you know, I'm just going to stay home and hang out. And I didn't think we would really do anything. Um, I wasn't like, I'm, I wasn't expecting gifts or anything. So we had a talk. And um, because she was like, you are in a bad, you know, you're kind of down and I don't know what's going on. And so I was like, yeah, you're bumming me out. Like you're really dragging me, dragging all the joy out of this holiday for me. Um, and... So what it was is she would keep saying things like, I would say, well, um, anytime I mentioned like anything about Christmas, like I was like, do you want to have dinner on Christmas? My time with Christmas is done. I don't have to do Christmas. You know, everything was like she didn't care. She was very blase about it. And that's like kind of like whatever Christmas. Um, And so I said, you know, I told her, I said, you're really bumming me out. Like this is not this is great. And she's like, well, I'm not going to be able to give gifts and do it. And I was like, I didn't ask you to do anything. I didn't expect anything. I didn't ask you to do anything. I just wanted us to spend some time together. Like it wasn't even, you know, I got invited to dinner and I told my friend, I said, well, let me ask my mom because I said, I don't think we have anything planned, but if we do, I'm going to hang out with my parents, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, so, and this was, it started like, and I, she's like, and they're like, if you want to go with your friends, go with your friends. Well, I don't care what you do, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, all right. So I went, you know, so after I told her that, then my mom came in the next day and she's like, so what are we doing for dinner? And I'm like, you told me to go to my friend's house. <laughs> this is, 
oh, I thought maybe we would do something. Like, it was just that kind of weird back and forth. Uh-huh. Um, and so what I had decided that morning, actually, before we talked, is I was like, I cannot let them bring me down. Like, I enjoy this holiday and I want to have fun. So I'm going to go places where I'm be around people who are actually having fun and enjoying the holiday. So um, I went to a Christmas one at my church, hosted a Christmas Eve open house. That's what they call it. So I went to that and I went to church and then I planned a dinner with my friend. Um, then another friend called and invited me to lunch on Christmas day. And so I went to, you know, so I planned to do all this stuff. Cause I was like, if I'm going to wait for them to be enthusiastic about the holiday, I'm not going to be, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And I can't let that be my barometer for enjoying my holiday. Like I just can't let that happen. Um, so, but we, we had to talk and it was fine. And I was like, yes, yeah, so I made these plans and I'm going out. And one of the things I realized that I talked about in my Saturday meeting, I was like, you know, the real issue I had when, cause when something like this happens for me, um, I have to be really cognizant and I have to really think about how I'm treating myself. And so the big issue, so, um, not to make it about my parents anymore, but the big issue here was, um, I had to decide, I had to figure out is, is my reaction, um, is my emotional response, is it okay? And when I say that, what I mean is what I wound up figuring out is that it was okay for me to be bummed out that my parents had, um, that their attitude toward the holiday was less than enthusiastic. Like it's, it's acceptable for me to feel bad about something that makes me sad. And I can be sad and that's okay. And I can feel that sadness for as long as I needed to. I had made some choices that I knew would make me feel better. So like I knew I wasn't going to be in the sadness because I was going to go to the party and I was going to go to lunch and I was going to do those things. But doing a thing where I didn't tell myself, don't be sad about this or don't have this reaction to that because I wasn't... Um, I was trying very hard not to take it out on anyone, mm-hmm. what I was feeling, but I still needed to be able to feel it. And so for me, the big thing was that I said, you know, it's okay to be sad about this. And I just let it ride. So, and of course I went to the meeting Saturday. That was good. So, you know, it was, so it's been good. And, you know, after we talked, things got significantly better. Um, and that's one of those things too, where I have to, sometimes it's okay to say, this is, what you're doing is bumming me out. Like I, I could have said that earlier. So I wasn't just carrying it around, but I also wasn't trying to make them responsible for my feelings. But so it's a fine line, um, that I have to kind of negotiate sometimes. And I wasn't feeling particularly overwhelmed. Like I can't deal with these people. Although, because I was, I will tell you this cause it's a little funny when I was, um, the day before, I had declared myself on vacation because it was Wednesday, remember? So I'm not doing anything on Wednesday. And I was like, I'm not doing anything. I was going to clean my room, but I decided, no, I'm on vacation. And then my mom was like, I need you to clean off the table. And I got so mad at her. (laughs) I was like, doesn't she know I'm on vacation? So I had to go do it because, you know, she needed to use the table. She was like, I need you to clear the table because she needed to use it. And it was my stuff all over the table. You know, like there's nothing I can do with that. Yep. And then she's like, um, and I was like, ah, these people, I can't live here anymore. I'm moving out tomorrow. You know, like that was my, my very measured and reasonable response. 
And then she says, and when you get dressed, I want you to get this other stuff from the living room. Because my daughter opened presents before she left. I want you to get this stuff. And so as I was walking away, I thought to myself, well, little does she know I'm not getting dressed. So, you know, I'm very mature um, (laughs) and reasonable person. I ate and then I felt better. So, (laughs) and I didn't have that response anymore, but I just thought it was funny that, you know, I I could still take it to the very, you know, it can be immediate, irrational response as well. (laughs) So that was my week. Maybe a little bit of hungry, angry, lonely, tired there, huh? Yeah, a little bit. Just a, just a smidge. <laughs> just a smidge. All right. Yeah. Okay. So I've been thinking about upcoming topics, and I, I don't have a, a strong plan uh, for, for topics for the new year, which yeah, a little bit of a problem there, but we'll, we'll work it out. One thing that I have been thinking about for a while, and maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll do next week, who knows, uh, is I, um, the topic is sort of we, you know, that, that mm-hmm. first word of the first step. And the thought was prompted by uh, a quote that, that I've heard a few times recently that goes something like this. I'm doing this from memory. It begins when you say we, and you know who you mean, and each day you mean one more. And I heard that, and I thought, oh, man, that's like al like it's a we thing and, and we know who we mean. It's those of us who've been affected by somebody else's addictive behavior. And we sure hope that every day we mean at least one more. Um, and, and the quotes really, it's about like how you get a movement going or something, but I just took it and I applied it to, to recovery in my head. And, and I have thoughts sort of percolating around. So if that, if that quote or the thought of we, uh, strikes according you and you have something you want to share, send us an email, leave us a voicemail and uh, maybe I'll put together a show with your, your voices and mine uh, on this, uh, this, this topic of we. You know, Spencer, I was thinking too, it might be interesting to, to do a show or to have people call in maybe who are in more than one program and how they balance their recovery in more than one program. Oh, that's uh, an interesting idea. Yeah, um, and because I I know we have people who we have the official dual members who are in Al Anon and AA, but then they're like I'm in two programs. So, which one of which is not AA, uh-huh. and one of which is Al Anon. So it's just interesting to think. I've been thinking about that and how. I mean, sometimes we will get people who say that they're in AA Al Anon, but thinking about balancing the yeah. two programs. So or more because sometimes people are more than one, more than two. That's that. That's also an interesting topic. So the topic is something like how do you how do you balance more than one recovery program? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Yeah. Please share your experience, strength, and hope. Thank you. <laughs> and, hey, Akila, so how do people how how can people share their experience, strength, and hope with us? How can they join our conversation? Well, they can call and leave a voicemail at seven three four seven zero seven eight seven nine five. They can call right now. To 734-707-8795. There's also a voicemail button on the website to join a conversation from their computer, especially if they're from outside of the state. If they, if anyone prefers to um, share feedback but not use their voice, please send an email to feedback at com. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope or your questions about today's topic of Concepts 11 and 12, or any of our upcoming topics, including we and possibly um, balancing more than one program of recovery. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, please let us know, because as you can hear, Spencer is 
doesn't know what to do with himself. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to leave it to my hair power here. <laughs> <laughs> so, Spencer, where can listeners find out more about The Recovery Show? Hey, that's the website, which is therecoveryshow.com. We have all the information about the show there, including notes for each episode, an occasional blog, links to the music that we talk about in the episode, links to other recovery podcasts and websites that we like. I just want to say, because of the reorganization, if you're on your phone or your tablet or something, uh, the phone number and email address that used to show up right at the top of the page don't anymore, but there's a on the little menu that opens up when you tap on the menu button, uh, there's a contact us page that has the phone number, it has the voicemail button, which I think right now shows up as a link, but you'd tap on that and get the voicemail or click on it. And it also has the email address. So uh, it looks good. Just remember the recoveryshow.com slash contact is another way to find all of that. And also information on the contact page about being a guest host like Akila is. Check it out there. And if you're interested in being a guest host, email feedback at the recoveryshow.com. We'll take a short break before we look at our uh, emails and voicemails. And the second musical selection, which is also available on the website, is Let's Work Together by Canned Heat. Uh, Canned Heat is a, well, that's from my childhood um, memories. They played at Woodstock and uh, they play sort of bluesy rock and I've, I've always enjoyed them. And a little bit of the lyrics from this song, Together we'll stand, divided we'll fall. Come on now, people, let's get on the ball and work together. Come on, come on, let's work together. And I just thought that fit well with both, uh, particularly, uh, I think, Concept 11 uh, about, you know, the committees and staff and all that about how we work together to uh, to get stuff done, but also uh, the democratic principle and discussion and all that in the warranties as well works with this song. Hey, we got a bunch of emails this week. Could you read uh, Matt's question? Matt wrote in with a question. So his email says, have you guys developed a system of working out fights or points of contention since starting recovery programs or has it simply evolved and worked luckily? The question is, was there ever a conversation about how fights or arguments will be handled like a system or order each person speaks? Something like that. I believe everyone in both programs could benefit from this answer. Matt. Well, that's a really excellent question, Matt. And I'm going to open that question. Uh, anybody, if you're listening and you have worked out a way to uh, have uh, discussions and arguments in your recovery relationship, or maybe if you if you haven't, um, give us a call, send us an email. Uh, we'd love to hear from you and get your voice into this conversation. Do you have uh, thoughts on Matt's question? I have heard some couples speak at workshops and things, and it sounds like they there is usually a conversation, but it may be different for every couple. So it would be interesting to hear. Yes, it would. Kristen, very short email here. She says, the new look is fine with me. I'm just happy you're in my inbox. And on my holiday road trip to Florida, happy to be able to see the menu choices. A situation where literally the qualifier is driving. Smile face. Progress, not perfection. Don't compare your insides to others' outsides, and thank you for your service. So thanks, thanks Kristen, Kristen, for that. Uh, I agree with her. I think it looks it looks good. It's a little pink, but it's cute. It's Yeah, well, so I got some early feedback from um, one, of my, uh, one of my guest hosts who 
didn't like it at all. And one of the things that, that they said was, it's very monochromatic. And I mm. thought, well, let's put a little color in here. And it's supposed to be sort of a purpley, purpley color. It is like purple, we, I see yeah, it. <laughs> um, which is one of the, you know, sort of the, the leaf green, light leaf green, spring green, whatever you want to call it, and this sort of lavender color have been the theme colors for the for the website uh, earlier. And so I tried to sort of keep that idea. And it's a work in progress. Uh, we're not going back to what we had, but hopefully uh, I will continue to improve it, I guess. is. Uh, and one of the things that, that I could could have spent some of the uh, the funds on that that I chose to spend at the end of the year is I could have, I could buy a theme that would enable me to, uh, to do a little bit more and probably look a little better. But that's one of the, one of the prudent choices that you know, I had to make a choice. And that was one of the things that I'd elected to, uh, to not do right away, at least. But voicemail from Patty. Hi, Spencer and everybody. This is Patty, um, in Colorado. And I just have got to tell you how great the podcast is and how important it is to me, how important it's become. It really is just such good quality and so helpful. Um, and in particular, um, has meant a lot to me in the past couple of days. I had some really traumatic stuff happen and just have been just trying to survive and get through, um, some days. And yesterday was especially bad one and I I had the recovery show on the entire day that I was awake in my house I was home all day and literally from the moment I got up and made coffee till I fell asleep at night I think I listened to 12 recovery show podcasts um, all the early ones and they're so good so thank you so much for what you do and um, I hope to get actually started going to meetings soon and get this Al-Anon thing happening in my life because I I know it's what I need and the podcast has taught me a lot about what it is and what I need to do. So thank you again and Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah and Happy Everything and bye for now. Thanks, Patty. Thanks, Patty. And I'm I'm happy to hear that you're you're working on going to meetings, and that is that is one of the reasons uh, that I started doing the podcast. That you know, I started doing this after being a guest on the Recovered podcast with Mark for a long time, and he's very clear about the fact that one of his purposes is to reach people who need a recovery program but are not yet uh, not yet going to meetings, and uh, that uh, if we can sort of demystify that for you uh, so that you know what what to expect um, when you do end up going to meetings um, that's great and I appreciate appreciate the call thank you you want me to read this one please Rachel sent in a response to the holiday survival kit episode it says hi I just wanted to say thank you for your podcast about surviving the holidays particularly the part where you said it's okay not to have expectations of yourself and to leave the situation if you need to only spending as much time with your family as you feel able. In my case this year, my family wanted me to be there for breakfast, hang out all afternoon socializing. Seriously exhausting for an introvert with autistic tendencies and mental illness in general. Dinner, looking at lights, and then taking a late night bus ride home by myself. 
I told them ahead of time that I might only stay for opening presents and breakfast and that I could tell my sister was irritated and disappointed. That's all I ended up demanding of myself. I had a migraine when I arrived, so I did go in another room for about 20 minutes to lie down before everyone arrived, and that helped. But by the time we were done with presents, I was feeling overwhelmingly sad, anxious, and tapped out. And I knew I would be sparing myself a lot of angst if I simply called it a day and went home. Still, I felt incredibly guilty for doing so. Your podcast helped me to let that go a little. I had a lot on my plate, grief over my mom's absence. She passed away three years ago. Trauma stirred up by being around my stepdad, who was an alleged sex offender who made an inappropriate pass at my sister five years ago, despite knowing us since we were little. And of course, the migraine didn't help either. So after listening to your podcast, I've decided to let myself off the hook. So maybe I could have taken a walk instead or gone in another room again for a while or repeated the serenity prayer to myself. But my instincts were telling me to leave and I felt I had to listen to them. Maybe next year I'll be able to stay longer. We'll just have to see. For many years, I wasn't even in contact with my stepdad. So just making it there for breakfast is a big step in light of that. I also wanted to respond to Gretchen's question about how to deal with her stepkids. As an adult child of two addicts, an enabler, and a possible pedophile, one of the things that hurt me the most growing up was the lack of honest communication about what was happening around me every day. Moreover, most of the outside adults in my family only ever asked me how my mentally ill and addicted mother was, never me. This made me feel as though I was, it was my responsibility to watch her like a hawk and constantly report back. It would have been greatly appreciated if they simply asked me how I was sometimes, been open about all the things that were being swept under rugs, and most of all to let me know that it wasn't my job to fix my family. And that, in fact, I couldn't do so even if I wanted to. I thought growing up that I could control everything and everyone if I simply figured out the right equation to solve all our problems. And no one was there to tell me how impossible that was. So that would be my biggest advice to her. Ask how they are, listen, and reassure them, number one, that their pain is valid, and number two, that they are not their father's keeper. Rachel. Thank you so much for that, Rachel, for yes, sharing your Rachel. personal experience um, and the, the bravery that it took to write that, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and I hope that that your words are helpful to Gretchen uh, in, in dealing with her situation. Yeah, and I would also add that the um, one of the things that was true for me, too, is I, I would feel a lot of guilt and anxiety when I started telling my parents and the people around me no. Because, of course, I had been um, taught, well, I, like, you know, like Rachel, I thought that I had to do things a certain way. And if I didn't, people would be, ang- would be angry with me. And that would happen, you know. Um, but the more time I've had in a program, the easier it's been to stand up for myself and to take care of myself. So I think um, just thinking about that and that. So I don't think it's unnatural, I guess, it's just to have that sort of response like, Oh, I feel so bad that I have to do that. But I think with more practice with self-care and things like that, that guilt starts to go down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm yeah, I'm grateful that you found that podcast of of help. Um I was feeling like, wow, I got it up just before the holiday. I should have done it sooner. There's that should have always always mm-hmm. a problem. Uh so I'm I'm glad you were able to use it. Thank you. Yeah, I thought it was great too and I um it was a reminder to me because, like I said, I went to lunch and then I went to dinner. And when I was at the dinner with my friends, you know, I was like, I'm only going to stay a little while because I want to I do want to go home and see my parents for a bit. 
-hmm. And just that reminder that, you know, we don't have to be all things to all people all the time. It's very helpful. So I thought it was great. It was (laughs) well-timed. Thanks. Okay. And I want to thank Brian. Brian sent me a book uh, with this uh, handwritten note with it. Dear Spencer, it feels so weird writing you an old-fashioned letter, yet so real at the same time. I was watching Oprah the other day, Super Soul Sunday, and she had David Brooks on. It was love at first sight. I didn't realize what a big deal this guy is. TED Talks, his video clips and interviews are all over the place. I have just received the books from Amazon today. I still haven't read it, but I wanted to get yours in the mail ASAP. So hopefully it will arrive in time to stick under the tree, which it did. I am not only trusting in my higher power, but in the USPS as well. I loved your last episode on slogans. That Eric guy really nailed it with the acronym THINK. Thoughtful, honest, intelligent, necessary, and kind. I will start using this at once. Anyway, I thought of how much character you have sticking it out with your qualifier, continuing on with the podcast when others were abandoning the ship. You have this gene in you that won't let you quit. Thank God for that. Your podcasts have, along with my Thursday night program, changed my life, even though my qualifier still struggles. It doesn't mean I have to. One day, I would love to appear as a guest, but I feel strongly that my qualifier needs to be in a better space and time. I know this is not the right approach to have, since my qualifier may never get to recovery, and then I will never be a guest. Hopefully, if I work the program hard enough, my attitude will soften in time. Feel free to use this letter on the podcast, or not. Let me know what you think of the book. Sincerely, Brian D. And again, Brian, thanks thanks for thinking of me. Thanks for sending the book, and it's in my pile. So it's called um, The Road to Character, and it's by David Brooks. And again, I'll put a link to uh, to that book at, at Amazon, at least uh, on the website in the show notes at therecoveryshow.com the, the slash 135. That's so cool. Thanks, Brian. And, uh, you know, these books, uh, they will probably show up in a future podcast episode. And I'll say, ah, this is what I learned, and this is how it relates to recovery. And and there we go. There's a podcast for another week. That's That's one of the ways I get ideas. Anyway, it doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Heather and Patty did. And thank you again, Heather and Patty. And thanks again to so many people who gave generous donations this year that are enabling me to uh, to upgrade some of my software and equipment. I really appreciate it. And hopefully it will show in the upcoming episodes. We have put together a list of recovery-related books. If you click on the books link at the top of the page, well, it's, it's in the menu, which may be at the top of the page if you're on a computer. It's in a little drop-down menu if you're on a phone or a tablet. And if you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we receive a small commission. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after clicking on one of the links will help us. It costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. And I say that the books links that I'll be putting in uh, the show notes for this episode also have that that feature. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it. Maybe recommending the show to your friends. Send them to therecoveryshow.com or just listening to us. We are here for you. And the last song selection is We Can by Leanne Rhymes. And again, you can listen to that on the web on the website. And this is, it's a song about uh, working together to, to get things done. At least that's the way I'm interpreting it for purposes of, of this particular podcast. And some, some lyrics here. We can do the impossible. We have the power in our hands and we won't stop because we've got to make a difference in this life. With one voice, one heart, two hands, we can. 
Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. We did not talk about a problem you are facing today. Feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace growing you one day at a time. 